Hi, this is Jean-Jacques Taylor, and you're listening to Jock Talk. This is a podcast where I talk about the Cowboys, the team I've covered as a beat writer, columnist, TV insider, and radio host for 28 years. I'll also talk about the NFL and the things I love, working out, streaming, food, and all things Dallas. My boy, Big Joe and the Big Rig, one of my oldest friends, produces the show and occasionally chimes in with his thoughts on the Cowboys. After all, he's a lifelong Cowboys fan, and he played high school, college, and semi-pro football. Welcome to Jock Talk, where sports is fluid. What's true today might not be true an hour, a day, or a month from now. I'm going to give you the truth straight. No chaser. Glad to have you aboard. Let's get it. Welcome, my friends, to episode 60 of Jock Talk. I'm Jean-Jacques Taylor, joined by my boy Big Joe in the Big Rig, and we hope you are prepared to be entertained and dazzled for the next hour or so as we get into the Cowboys, the Cowboys fan base, and talk to my boy Todd Archer, ESPN Insider. What's up, Doc? What up? Good morning. Oh, you good? Yeah. Is you good? You straight? Yeah. You had your morning coffee? You ready to roll? Pretty much. <laughs> uh, you know, I always like to tell y'all, if you're ever in an accident, uh, what you need to do, what you got to do, is pick up the phone and call 972-934-8900. You really shouldn't even have to think about it by now. Give Greening Law a call and tell them, hey, here's my situation. What do you think? And I'm telling y'all, if they bring you on as a client, it's been a great day for you. And here's why. Anytime you're fighting somebody else's insurance company, anytime, what you need is when to hold tight. Green and Law does all of that. Um, why? They want you working on two things and two things only. Healing and renewal. Get your body right. Get your life right. Get your mind right. Get your life back. It's really all that simple. And so what Green and Law does is they listen to you, and here's the deal. They don't get paid unless you get paid. So you never have to wonder where you are on the priority list. Numero uno. That's where you sit because they don't get paid unless you get paid. It's in their best interest to do the best that they can for you, and so they do do that for you. Uh, Green and Law, you need a doctor, they hook you up with one. You need a specialist, they take care of that too. Why? They want you focused on getting your mind right and your body right so you get your life back. That's really what's important to them. So give them a call, 972-934-8900. Let them work for you. Let them work for you. Did you hear that? Work for you. It'll be a good day for you if they bring you on as a client. Now, you can always follow me on Twitter, at JJTJournalist. If you think you follow me, you don't. Why? My Twitter got deleted. Long story we'll talk about one day. Um, you can also, my handle, I am Jean-Jacques Taylor. Uh, let's get into the Cowboys, man, because this is an interesting thing. We're going to talk to Todd Archer, and then there's been a lot of family of the players bumping their gums this week. And I have an interesting theory on that and why you should either not pay attention or pay attention. But let's give Todd Archer a call. He's brought to you each and every Wednesday by Smokey John's Barbecue and hear what he has to say about your Dallas Cowboys. Hello. What up, bro? What's going on? Man, you should be more excited. What's happening? You okay? Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Got a workout in? I'm, I'm just I'm checking right. with you, man. I'm just checking with you, yeah. man. I thought all you right. may be sad uh, that the, there's no Cowboys game this weekend. There's nothing for you to do except relax. 
and uh, you have there was no Cowboys game last weekend either, and that was okay. So, <laughs> uh, hey man, Cowboys this season been over for a minute. Dan Quinn still the defense coordinator, coordinator by name. Is he going to be the defense coordinator for another week? Certainly seems like it's trending in that direction. If he's he, he's not gotten one of these jobs yet, I, I guess you still wait and see what happens uh, in, in Seattle with his ties to that organization um, and what other jobs are still available? Carolina, why would you go there? So, you know, Washington, why would you go there? Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I think people need to start preparing themselves for Dan Quinn coming back. And I do find it funny now. It's like he's been turned into some kind of just awful coach, like, which is <laughs> funny. Like, the, 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 the extremes we go to, like, I'm not one to say he's yes. the best coordinator in the league and, my gosh, he just all the schemes that he does, man, isn't he fantastic? But I'm not saying he's a guy who can't coach defense either. And I think after 48-32, everybody is kind of glommed onto the, the, the fact that they believe that he's just terrible and part of the problem and needs to go. I, I don't think he needs to go. I think he needs to adjust a little bit more and he needs to do a better job with personnel and matching personnel, but I think he's a fine defense coordinator. Uh, what? Well, let's talk about this as we're talking about Dan Quinn, who I think is a good defensive coordinator. I liked him because um, he put guys in position to make plays. Not that other coordinators don't, but it seemed like he made a real concerted effort to do that. But beyond that, how come they didn't add any linebackers last year? Or when they did add him, whether it was Rashawn Evans, they didn't play him. What's your theory on that? Yeah, that, that's a great question that I've asked around on. I'm like, okay, do we blame Dan? Did he tell you guys, hey, we're good? We don't. I'm, I'm good with Marquise Bell and Damone Clark as my linebackers. And it 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 wasn't. How do I? How do I? No one wanted to put all the blame on Dan. Like they just kind of said it was a uh, collective mistake and how they address the position. It's And the issue isn't – there's two issues. Overshawn got hurt in a preseason game. He was trending right. to playing in a pretty big role on defense with with how he was looking that, that summer. Leighton got right. – Leighton Vendor got hurt in October, early October, maybe the first week of October. When was that San Francisco game? Yeah, October 8th. Um, right. They had opportunities to add guys, and I'm not saying you're going to go find, you know, Jack Ham and all these great linebackers that are going to be <laughs> Hall of Fame quality by any right, stretch. Right. But, like, when they signed Rashawn Evans, I'm like, okay, that's doing a little something here. Because here's a dude, he, he led Atlanta in tackles last year. And maybe that's, like, scoring 20 on a bad team in the NBA. Like, someone has to do it. Maybe someone had to make those tackles. Right. But they never really gave him an opportunity to play. And is that on Dan Quinn? Is that on John Fossil not making him play special teams, not believing he could play special teams? So then he said, well, if we're not going to play the guy, we don't need him around. Um, their linebacker plan, out of something, I don't even know when it's running, among the failures of the season, their linebacker plan was a huge failure and played a part in why their run defense wasn't very good. And it was only good when the Cowboys had leads or they played teams that just didn't want to run the ball or couldn't run the ball. Yeah. 
No, that's that's real puzzling to me. I know it's uh, it's been pissing Joe off all season uh, as a former <laughs> linebacker, but all um, season it's uh, what. I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. Oh, okay. nickel, nickel is the base defense now. I think we all agree on that. But right. when you're facing 12 personnel or 13 personnel, sometimes you got to match up to us. Yeah. You, you know, with, with bigger boxes. You can't just. Right. You know, and I'm not going to sit here and, and dog mark you, sell. He did what he had to do as a 205 pound linebacker. I mean, they they they, <laughs> right. did they put him in a position to succeed the entire time. Probably not. Um, I don't think Damone Clark made it made the jump that they thought he or hoped he would make. Um, and th- this is what you're left with. So now linebacker, off the ball linebacker, which is not considered a a priority position when you think of the big six for the Cowboys, has become a priority position. And now, how do you how do you address it? Do you go out and spend money in free agency? They're not doing that. Do you spend a premium draft pick on one? Is that the wisest play? So you're kind of stuck in a hit and hope scenario where you can get a cheap guy that can be serviceable as in, in some respects, and and that's not a good place to live in either. So, boy, we're giving a Let lot of hope this. in the 2024 season, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you this. Because it's not a uh, premium position, doesn't that mean you should be able to get one who can play third, fourth, fifth round? Because they're not drafting them because they're drafting, you know, people who score touchdowns or prevent touchdowns out on the edge. I I would say, well, first, the the, the original answer to your question is yes, they should be able to find someone in that fourth or fifth round to do something. The bad news is right now they don't have fourth and fifth round picks. So yes, you're right. You, you make a good point there. You're, you're talking about <laughs> packaging. You'd have to package next year picks or or move up. And look, the way the way this um, and, and maybe I'm just reading into what other people are saying too much on this stuff. The way this the NIL stuff is working, and this everybody's got 57 years of eligibility in college football. It seems like these days, like the middle round depth of this year's draft, for some reason, doesn't. So far, so early in the process, doesn't seem to be very strong compared to like last year. Everybody's talking how deep that draft was. So now we've seen people stay right. in school or transfer schools because they're getting more money from the house. State Buckeyes who decided to spend thirteen million dollars to compete with Michigan. Mm. Um, uh, mm. Oh wait a minute! Did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. Yep. Shots fired. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you twelve uh, cuss word. <laughs> it's not like we got blown off the field by them bitches. <laughs> Shots fired, dog. Lost, we had right? the ball and the chance to win at the end of the game. That's lost, more than, right? uh, you know, the Longhorns could say. What are you or Washington about? or whoever else the, they play. What, what, hey, just shut up, man. You just, you just like drew me off sides. They were driving for a go-ahead touchdown. Yeah, well, we were too, so there. Tweet, tweet, you got me. <laughs> Illegal procedure <laughs> on Taylor. I fell for the okie doke. Todd, you, you, you never disappoint, Todd. Go ahead with that. <laughs> Go ahead. I on. forgot what we were talking about. We're, Some oh, so, so I, I don't know. Like, and we spent you, 13 you know, million. You know what they need? You know what they need, Jacques? They need this year's What's version that? of Anthony Hitchens. Is that what we're saying, yeah. right? Yeah. Okay, he was I'll a four-time yeah. pick out of I'll Iowa. Hell yeah. That, that's the kind of player they need. Yeah. 
Well, it's coaching and scouting. Too. Coaching and scouting is is, is, is going to be the big deal when you're trying to find a linebacker like that. The, the, the guys the 49ers got wasn't very high draft picks, but they can ball. And that's coaching and scouting right there. I mean, let's I look at the last couple problems. years. Damone Clark, fifth-round pick, had the neck issue coming out. You're t- kind yep. of taking a chance there. Yep. Um, I'm not ready to give up on that kid yet i mean he's a hard worker he's done everything he's been asked to do i'll give him more run jabril cox that one didn't work out whether he tore his acl or not he really never really saw much uh from him before they let him go last year and i don't even know if he was on a practice squad somewhere after that um just scrolling through the rest of the like you know chris covington in 2018 six round pick i don't think he's in the league anymore so you know, you, it's hard. It, it, they should be able to find these guys, uh, uh, but I, but really, maybe since Hitchens or uh, Damian Wilson, they've not found that guy. Right. But that, that's that's if if they're talking about it, addressing the draft, that's really where you kind of do it. I I don't think they're going to take one in the second round. Certainly, don't think in the first. So it's just maybe third. And, you know, is the bottom of the third is essentially a fourth round anyway, but. Let's also acknowledge that every time the Cowboys pick for need, they seem to get themselves in trouble. Yeah. Um, and forgive me for not knowing this. Is this a draft where they're getting some compensatory picks? They'll get two. They they should get two, but they're going to be like six rounders. So, 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 oh, so they'll, end up, they'll still end up with seven seven <laughs> picks, but or six picks, or whatever it is. But nothing that's going to change in much of anything. Especially uh, if we don't Cox think there's a, a, uh, a, a deep draft. Is uh, with the Washington Commanders. Who knew? And I don't even think he uh, played against the Cowboys in the last game, did he? <laughs> I don't think so. That's him. where he is right now. Yeah, that's where he is right now. Um, so what? Uh, what do you think about as we? Uh, uh, I was talking about the Cowboys and, and Dan Quinn. Um, you know, I think uh, we got plenty of time to talk about the draft and all that coming up. But uh, when you look at the teams from the weekend, you hear a lot of this. Oh, my God, the Cowboys don't stack up to them. As you as you looked at the uh, the games this weekend, did you see the Cowboys a long way away from the NFC Championship game? Or like we thought no, just a couple I mean, weeks ago, they're really not that far. I don't think they're that far off, to be honest with you. I mean, if you – I almost look at the, the first round of – the playoffs, and this is something that kind of hit me when I was watching last week a little bit, where when San Francisco and Detroit were playing their their, their first games. It's like the NCAA tournament. When it's those 5-12 games, right? We always see those upsets. But if the five seed can win, they can make a run. Like, it's, if you right. win that first game 9-7, then you breathe your sigh of relief and you're like, okay, we're good. Let's, and then you and then you can play more free the following week, and I think there's an element of that. And I think for the Cowboys, you know, look, history uh, history is against me on all of these things that I'm saying about the Cowboys. <laughs> if they had beaten Green Bay, I wouldn't have been surprised if they beat Detroit at home. I mean, Tampa Bay was not a good team. They were nine and eight, and they needed to get hot at the end in the worst division in football. They beat Carolina. Was it nine nothing in the last yes. week of the season or something like that? So and, yeah, and two of their nine Detroit, wins came against the Panthers. 
Right, and and I don't mean to like denigrate Detroit because I want to see Detroit win this thing because of Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn and those guys. I mean, it's a great story. But if the Cowboys played the Lions in round two, do we think that the Cowboys wouldn't have won the game? Yeah, I think they'd have won a close game. Right. I mean, so, I mean, I so theoretically, that makes them close. Now, we can go into the being close and being far away. Somehow the Cowboys are both <laughs> because they're fighting history. They're fighting 27, right? 28 years of, of this stuff while having a talented roster. And this is where, like, the, the, the whole everybody now it's Jerry sucks. Get rid of Jerry. He'll never win if you don't. If Jerry running the show, and I've seen Jock on Twitter trying to talk sense into people, it's never going to work. So that's why I just kind of ignore it all. I like to try. They from have time a to time. good. They have a good roster. I, I think we can agree on that, right? Like good roster. Just like a lot of teams, just like every playoff team has a good roster, and it's right. it's a matter of. We probably said this last week. Your best players have to play their best when it matters most. And when's the last time that's happened for the Cowboys? I don't even want to give them credit for the Tampa win last year because Tampa was so bad even if they had Tom Brady. But when's the last time that happened where their best players played their best games? In the postseason. I don't want to go back to 1995, Uh, but... Yeah, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. Yeah. Um, well, that leads us to this, man. And we had a good conversation about it. And uh, me and Joe talked about it a little bit the other day. But we can talk about it forever and people never get tired of it. Uh, I call it a Dak dilemma because I'm not sure that there's a good decision to make regarding Dak. But where do you sit on what you should do with Dak? There's and I guess decisions. before we do that, we should we – Okay, yeah, spell them out, because I was going to say, we should okay, spell them yeah, out what the decisions there's, are. There's three options for the Cowboys. Let's, let's start with the numbers. He's making $29 million in base salary. He's got a $5 million roster bonus. His cap number is $59.5 million. Bucks. So lay that all out there at the top of it. And it's the last year of his contract. They, they can't franchise tag him in 2025, and he has a no-trade deal, but that doesn't mean what we think it means. It just means he can only be traded to a team that he would want to go to. Russell Wilson had a no-trade clause. He got traded. So all, all that stuff is kind of – the no-trade thing is kind of irrelevant. Um, but to me, there are three options. It's don't do anything with this contract. Add voidable years to it um, if you want or sign them to an extension. Um, and there's pros and cons all the way around. The pros of doing nothing, right. it's – hey. Win or else. We've given you nine years. If you're not getting it done now, it's time to, for all of us to move on. Right? Um, what, so there, there's that. It, it makes it more difficult for them to, to get better um, because that's a big number to carry. Uh, so, right. But you're going to restructure Zach Martin. You're going to restructure Tray, Trayvon Diggs. You can restructure Terrence Steele. Uh, you can June one release Michael Gallup. You, there are ways that they can create enough money to get under the cap and do some things theoretically uh, that that they would need to do to retain players or add players or whatever. It's not the most palatable right. uh, discussion. So that that's option one. Option two, add voidable years, right. and you really you don't have to do that. You can still restructure Dak's contract this year uh, with the two voids that are already on it. 
from 25 and 26. So that would open up like $18 million of room. But all you're doing is adding $18 million of uh, space into his 2025 cap number. So if he's not around, he's counting $54 million against the cap in 2025. So again, you get in, you get the cap relief. You can go out and add for agents. You can do some stuff, but you're kind of hemming yourself in. You're kicking it down in 2025. Yeah, right. And and look, well, let me, let me get to the third option, and I'll come back to the kick the can thing. And then the third option is obviously sign him to an extension, which will be north of fifty million dollars a year, which will be you know five for two fifty at minimum, um, huge bonus. But you'll get the cap relief. Uh, immediately sure to be able to do some things where his cap number would, you know, would probably be like 25 million, uh, roughly if you think it's 50% of what the average is on, that's kind of the working number. Um, but then you, but then you look at history and we've talked about this before. Show me all the guys that have gone to a Super Bowl with the team that drafted them, been their starter this long, has gone to a Super Bowl beyond the ninth year. And I, you know, since 1980, there's one. It's Ken Anderson in Cincinnati. Peyton Manning and, and Matt Ryan did it in their ninth year. Peyton Manning won two MVPs before he went to the Super Bowl. So I don't even know if that's a good comp for, for, for Dak in that respect. Um, so again, there's not the perfect answer out there as to what to do. Um, and, and part of me wonders if the, I, part of me, I just hope the, I hope the Cowboys are just asking themselves these questions, and I'm sure they are, because you don't want to be in a situation where you're paying a guy because you have to and not because you want to. And some yeah, of, and that's, that's you know. And then the kick the can down the road thing, I'm turning into the I hate that phrase because show me when the bill comes due. The only time it's come due on the Cowboys really is when they had the – the Miles Austin year where they had the, the the end of the CBA and they got signed by the league and for yeah. working stuff um, around the cap and an uncapped year and all that stuff, which was a bogus deal. But, like, New Orleans' uh, cap guy uh, is lauded every year for coming up with all these – all he does is just kick the can down the road. So the bill doesn't co- – so well, you know. when do you – you put you can put the minimum payments on it and you you'll you you can pay it off in fifty seven years. Duh. But who cares? Like it, it's going to go up. You, it's all going to work itself out. You're never really going to be in a situation, in my mind, where you're going to be stuck with forty eight players on a fifty three man roster. Now I think you're right when you say that, which is the, and what people forget if they don't think about if they don't work with this all the time is the cap goes up every year. They get new TV deal. The cap goes up ten million, fifteen million, whatever it goes up, it goes up. And so, you know, I remember when we came in, or seemed like it wasn't too long ago. It was like one hundred fifty-nine million. Now it's two hundred and something million. It's so it goes up every year. And so you can manipulate it, much like people do their credit cards. Uh, I'm gonna pay the minimum, and then when I die, if y'all want to take some of my insurance money and pay it off, fine. If not, no problems. I, I view the salary cap the same way. Uh, so now, Todd Archer, general manager, because we fired Jerry Jones. What do you do? Oh, good. Uh, honestly, I'm probably doing nothing, and I'm taking the chance that if he wins, and and we win, the Cowboys win uh, under this scenario where you've got me the GM, then 
I'll give him whatever he wants. And why would he want to leave? Other than maybe he's sick of being here uh, and dealing with all the crap that he's got to deal with, but he will just won a Super Bowl. So I'm sure you get more <laughs> endorsements, blah, 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 blah. I'll, I'll take the chance. And I realized okay. that um, Let me... setting myself up in 2025 to maybe not have him. But again, it goes back to the other part of the history. Like, if the goal here is to win a Super Bowl and a guy's been your starting quarterback for nine years and hasn't done it, what makes you think it's going to happen in year 10, 11, or 12, or 13? So I would probably take the risk, and it is a risk. And I'm, I don't want this to be construed as like I'm advocating the Cowboys to move on from Dak. I, I'm not. I'm just trying right. to think of a financial, uh, of a best way out of a difficult situation. And it might be doing nothing. And if it's a risk, it's a risk. And if and if you lose them, then I don't mean to sound flippant. Go get another quarterback. There are ways that you can go do this. We, we've seen the Rams trade up in 16 to get Goff. We saw the Eagles trade up uh, to get Wentz. Um, we've seen teams give up all their draft picks and go get guys that they've targeted. It, can't, it might not be the ultimately work out, but there are ways that you can go do some, some of this stuff. Oh, and I think that's the interesting thing. Like you can, and I think you raise a good point that I don't often acknowledge. You can go acquire a guy. You can do whatever it takes to go get a guy. Uh, my issue is that with quarterbacks, it seems like there's really like zero guarantee because it's such a hard position. It doesn't matter whether you take them first overall. You could get Baker Mayfield. You could get Joe Burrow. You could get uh, what's that guy with the with the Raiders who was terrible? Jamarcus Russell. Yeah, yeah, Jamarcus yeah. Russell. I mean, it just doesn't matter. You can get David. I mean, you could get a star of stars, Troy Aikman, or you can just get a bum. And <laughs> it doesn't matter. And so, um, and you know, that's one reason why the Cowboys haven't taken the quarterback since 89. They don't like the risk reward there. They like a little more certainty when it comes to spending money because they've am certainly I, taken I, a bunch of chances to get. Am I missing huh? something? Because when seemed like when the last – Three or four times people jumped up to get a quarterback. It didn't work out. Mitchell Trubisky, Trey Lance, uh, even Jared Goff didn't work out with the Rams, even though he went to the Super Bowl. But I see what you're saying about acquiring people. But it seems like when they when you push all the chips in to get a guy, it don't really work out. Well, there's a lot of pressure that comes when you get all the chips because everybody knows you got that guy. Yeah. And whether you tell him not to feel like a savior or not, he feels like a savior. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, there's 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 absolute risk in doing it. No no question. Just as there's risk of paying a guy north of fifty million dollars. Oh yeah, uh, uh, a year to do it when you've never done it before. So that that's like I don't I don't have like the percentages in my like the ESPN football power index thing to figure all this stuff out. Neither one is a great situation to be in if you're paying a guy that much. Right. Like it's like Joe Burrow, give him the world. You look what he's done. Uh, I'm, I'll gladly give him 55 defenders. Patrick Mahomes, gladly do it. Some of these other guys, I, I Josh, uh, what's Herbert's first name? Josh, yeah, Justin Herbert. Justin and, Herbert. Justin yeah. Herbert. I have Josh in my mind. Uh, J- Justin Herbert in, in the Chargers. I'm probably doing it, but I'm like, gee, boy, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, but you kind of have to when you when you pick those guys and it's a little bit like like Dak to a degree uh in 2020 it's like 
ooh, I'm going to give him this, but I don't really know. Man, he's coming off the bad ankle injury. So um, none of it's good, and there's risk involved both ways. There's no great – and this goes to Jerry the risk taker. Where's that guy gone? He don't exist anymore. I was going to say, is he really a risk taker these days? Right. What's the last risk that he took and up for the for the Cowboys? And, and yeah, is let's it, be realistic. I would say when was it's tr- it? the Amari trade was an all not an all in. I hate that term. The Amari trade was a risk. Okay, that's he a gave risk. up a first round pick. That's a good one. That one before that is a Mo Claiborne trading up in the first round to take yep. him. Yep. Signing Brandon Carr. Man, I was all over that thing, and it didn't work out. I was so like, what like, a great move. Put him with Brandon Carr? Wow. And, and, then, and then you're in a situation where... Well, if you're talking yeah, about like, draft, you Randy Gregory and some of yeah, them guys. Yeah, but he's a second-round pick. Yeah. He's, done, he's done that his entire time, right? Yeah. Sam Williams, Randy yeah. Gregory, Kelvin Joseph. Bruce, I mean, Bruce Carter. Jalen Smith, all, all these mm-hmm. guys, right? He, so he's always kind of done that. That's but like we're talking like ultimate risk of moving up from twelve to six or whatever oh, it is yeah. when they took Mo, um, you know, uh, giving up your first rounder for Amari, not having him under contract the following year. Roy Williams trade was a risk uh, as well, and that one didn't work out for him. So maybe Jerry's telling us, yeah, I'm taking these risks, and it hasn't worked out. Although I would argue the Amari trade did until he, they decided to move on from him. Um, but with, remember, like, the whole story when they didn't draft Manziel and Jerry told Steven, you don't get to own the Dallas Cowboys by playing it down the middle, and this is playing it down the middle. <laughs> right, right. They started off this offseason by playing it down the middle. They're just laying up, baby, taking their par. Right. You, you can go for the eagle and win, or you can – Lay up and hope you make a birdie to tie. And hey, man, go. I'm always going for the green. That's what I do. You've never played golf in Especially your life. Those, what are you talking about? Those par fives. The Tiger Woods EA Sports those, don't count. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> I shoot for that. I go for the par. I go for, I'm like Tiger. I go for the eagle on the par five, man. That's where you make your hay. That's where you make your hay. <laughs> I mean, I go for the green on the on the 17th hole at the TPC, baby. Screw that water. I ain't scared. That's me. Well, you better go for me. it. It's a par three. It's 130 yards. You're not going to lay up. You know what? I'm about sick of you and your facts. Yep. Uh, I, I really am. I'm about sick of you. Oh, look at the humble brag there. Look at the humble yeah. brag. Damn right. You've been on TPC, TPC twice. That's pretty good. When, when was the last time you played Pebble? Uh, 05. The only time I played Pebble. Damn, I was trying to get him in here and answer for that. Wow, that's impressive. How'd you do on Pebble? That was, what was your favorite that, shot? That was, the year that, that was the year the Cowboys stayed out there for the week. Oh, we spent the week in, uh, when they found yeah. out the, when they found our long snapper LP? Yep, that week. How about that? Me, me uh, Mosley, Matt you, McBriar, and Romo with a foursome at Pebble Beach that you, day. McBriar, and Romo? And Matt Mosley, your favorite. Yeah, that guy's dead to me. Okay, not really. Kind of, sort of. <laughs> Mostly, but not really. Maybe his ghost is still there. Uh, what'd you shoot? 
Uh, Stop laughing, I, man. I, I I know I broke a hundred. I think I shot like a ninety-two. I birdied eighteen. What was your best? I do remember that. I was going to say, did you have any birdies at all? Yeah, I birdied eighteen. I chipped right. in on eighteen. Wow. Okay, I'm impressed. Good for Archer. What other good courses have you played? Or what else is on your course bucket list? Oh, crap. Masters. I mean, I've, I've and never I, when I say that, I mean I courses you can. Well, I covered the Masters twice, and I didn't get picked for that lottery either time. So, okay. Uh, right. But that would, be, that would be on the bucket list. Um, I played Torrey Pines in San Diego after one of those Super Bowls out there. All right. Uh, yeah. Why are we talking about golf? What are we doing? I don't know. I was just thinking that. But I <laughs> this is my fault. You brought you, you brought up something interesting. Oh, so I like I like I like golf, but we took an extra ramp. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, who, before we let you go, Arch, who you like this weekend? I mean, I don't want to play it boring down the middle and take the two home teams. So I'm going to take uh, Detroit. In Baltimore, fighting Dan Campbell's in Dude. the Super Bowl. Dude, I would. Uh, I don't know what I would give, but I would give a lot to see Dan Campbell in the Super Bowl for a week. I'd give a lot for that. <laughs> uh, and I don't. I don't care who they. If they played the Chiefs, it'd be great. They played the Ravens. I think either one of those teams is great. Uh, but uh, yeah, the fighting Dan Campbell's. Uh, you surprised at all about the success he's had? I mean, he spent two or three years in Dallas, so we all got to know him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, su- I mean, yes, you have you have to be surprised a little bit because no one else has gone to Detroit and done what he's done. Um, so <laughs> this is true. You, you, you have to be you have to be a little bit surprised, but I I think people forget like this isn't a dude who just showed up and now he's the head coach of the Lions. Like he. Work his way up. I mean, he was an intern for Sperano with the Dolphins. He became the Dolphins' tight ends coach. Became the Dolphins' interim right. head coach, I believe, when Joe Philbin got fired. Yep. Spent six, seven years, whatever it was, with Sean Payton in New Orleans. Obviously played under Sean when he was with the Giants and, and here with the Cowboys. Um, so, and, and may have had, like, a different title besides just tight ends coach in New Orleans. I'm not sure, but wasn't just a quote position coach there in some respects. And then to, to me, like the, the best part of a head coach, especially if you're not calling the plays necessarily is how do you get guys to respond to you? And clearly Dan gets guys to respond to him uh, beyond the bite kneecaps and all the stuff that everybody thinks is funny. But we saw here when he was a player, like guys responded to him. I don't know if he had, 15 catches in a season that he played for the Cowboys. He was hurt a bunch, but guys in that law from that first year, Jock in 03 when he got here, he was one of those core right. guys that helped turn this thing into a playoff team under Parcells. That was one of the Parcells guys that he went and got to turn a crappy locker room into a really good locker room. Him, Richie Anderson, Al Singleton. Um, I'm missing right. somebody else in there, I think. But, you know, guys like Al that. Al Singleton, solid, the milkman. that one? <laughs> solid veteran guys that were professional, knew what they were doing, and and, and guys could emulate and follow. And Dan's been that guy, you know, probably going back to his Aggie days. I didn't know him then, obviously, but 
uh, I, I think you can tell how the guys feel about Dan by how they respond to him and and how they're playing and how they're maybe punching up above a weight class a little bit, but they don't know yeah. that. And that's Dan giving them belief. No. Did you realize? Did you probably knew this? I didn't. Dude, did you know he played three seasons in Detroit? Yeah, what's funny is that three seasons he might have played there, it might have been like seven games. because he 19 <laughs> games. He only played three yeah. in his last two games. Yeah. like he had, I remember like seeing pictures of him, and like he, he kept tearing his triceps or his biceps or something. Um, something like that. But, yeah, he was on their 0-16 right. team, I think, with uh, Marinelli. Jeez, in 2008. Yeah. yeah. Who knew? Who knew? I didn't realize all of that. So. Because uh, I was just looking at the stats. You got to be a hell of a player to play uh, 10 seasons and catch 91 passes. Yeah. Even as a tight end. And his best year in Dallas was twenty. his first year, 20 catches, 195. And then, oh, by the way, this Whitney guy came up and started taking some of his play time the following <laughs> year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Anyway, good, uh, good walk down memory lane, man. We appreciate it. That's Todd Archer, man of many jokes. All right, brother. I told I don't know if I told any jokes. And no, he just he just hit truth. you with uh, you, I'm he your punchline. He just hit you with that big shot right there. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dog. All right, see you guys. That's a all right, brother. That's Todd Archer, who stayed way too long today. Uh, uh, he's brought to you each and every Wednesday by Smokey John's Barbecue. Smokey John's Barbecue, 1820 West Mockingbird. You have got to get there because the food is to live for. Did you hear me? To live for. Uh, that jam session bowl on a cold day like today, yum, yum, yum. Uh, you know, it's got that mashed potato base or that mac and cheese base, man. And then they, your choice out of two or five smoked meats. I rock with the brisket and the sausage. Uh, Big Joe rocks with the Double brisket. We don't know what Aunt Minnie rocks with. We'll find out soon one day uh, when she rolls through. Uh, but once you get those meats, those smoked meats, then all that stuff you love on a loaded baked potato, you know, chives, bacon bits, cheese, sour cream, all that stuff, butter, all that good stuff. They put it on top. Then comes the big question. You want it drenched? You want it drizzled with that famous Smokey John's barbecue sauce made in-house? It is fantastic. Love in your mouth. That's how good it is. Um, so, uh, go buy Smokey John's. Ask for the jam session bowl. It's on the secret menu. If you don't ask for it, you're not going to get it because it's not on the menu. You got to ask for it. And then you get it. Uh, now, don't forget, if you need Smokey John's in your life a little more frequently, you can always go to SmokeyJohns.com, click on the marketplace, order the sauce. Or the rub in the new 12-ounce bottle. Have it at your house in a couple days. If you need it sooner than that, as Big Joe and the Big Red can attest to, you can go to your local H-E-B and find it on the shelves. The rub is on the shelves, easily available. Doesn't matter whether you're going to Waxahachie, McKinney, Allen, Burleson. H-E-Bs across the state carry it. Smokey John's Barbecue. It is love in your mouth. It's delicious. It's been a while since I had a jam session bowl. I've been trying to catch up with Joe to get him one. Now, now we're waiting for Aunt Minnie, you know. No, we don't, we're not waiting. We're not waiting for Trying Aunt to coordinate Minnie. those three schedules is hard. Uh, <sighs> you know, because Joe only got certain times he want to travel. 
And so I do my best to try to accommodate his schedule, but it's just been hard for us to link up and get to Jam Session Bowl. I'm trying my best. We're going to get that thing done soon. We got people on the internet asking for it, clamoring for it. Mm. We're going to make it happen. It's just a matter of coordinating with Joe's schedule because he's a busy man. That's the hard part. Why are you laughing, man? We don't, we don't wait for Ain't Many. Ain't Many is a force. <laughs> ain't Many is a force of nature, dog. You don't wait for her. That's all I'm going to say. You ain't finna get me in trouble telling that lie. We ain't waiting for her. If she want to go, we going. So, you know what I'm saying? He's easy killer. <laughs> yeah. I mean what I say. Ain't many is a force of nature. Remember that. All right, uh-huh. go ahead. Uh-huh. Archer took up so much time. You know, he likes to stay late, but I'm only paying him for the hours he, he worked, not overtime. Is uh, Let's take a very quick trip around the block, man, because something funny happened to my dad this weekend. So this spawned the conversation. I called my dad yesterday. I usually call him, uh, I, we usually talk on Sundays uh, for about 30, 40 minutes, catch up, solve all the world's problems, talk about sport, all the good stuff. Uh, great relationship with my dad. So um, I called him yesterday. Why? Most of y'all know by now. He'd been a season ticket holder with the Bills for, uh, I think, since 1987. That's when he moved back up there from Ohio State, went to work at the University of Buffalo as a professor. He's still a uh, professor teaching a uh, graduate class at the University of Buffalo right now. Told me he just got invited to speak uh, at Ohio State next month, last week. So that's a big deal. But anyway, that's that's just to tell you what he's doing right now. So I called him before the game. Because, you know, my dad, he can be stubborn. Uh, he's in great shape. I called him a couple weeks ago. I'm like, hey, man, you sound funny. Where you at? So I'm at the gym. Get my workout in. I'll hit you back when I'm done. Yeah, my dad. Uh, I ain't going to tell you how old he is because you get pissed off. But he will. Uh, he's still working out three times a week. And he's 23 years older than me because that's how old I was when he was born. So y'all can do the math from there. So anyway, dog, I call him up to make sure. I say, hey. You got your electric uh, coat. You got your batteries charged up. I said, uh, I literally said this. I said, I do not need you catching pneumonia out at the game, dog. Uh, I ain't got time to come up there and visit you, even though I will. He said, no, no, everything laid up. I'm good. I'm straight. Matter of fact, let me call you back because I'm laying my clothes out like Deion Sanders. And I'm about to head out the door because it's going to take me an hour and a half to get from my porch to my seat. I will talk to you later. He's hyped. He good to go. So I'm checking him yesterday. And he mad, as every Buffalo Bills fan is. He's pissed off about this and that and this and that. And then he says, man, it'd have been worse if I'd have been there. I said, what you mean if you had been there? Man, I didn't go. I said, how you not go to the game? Last time I talked to you, you was gone to the game. He said, well, I put my clothes on. I drove out there. But, you know, we had all this snow. I said, so? I said, what'd they do? Moving from the stadium to the parking lots? He said, well, what happened is we had so much snow, not all of the parking lots were available. So only half of them were. He said, so when I got there, those parking lots were filled up. Now, let me tell you something. Orchard Park, the stadium is basically in the middle of like Orchard Park, which is like a suburb. It's like a big neighborhood. Like you pull into a neighborhood and boom, they go to the stadium. Um, So he's like, 
there's some other people, there's some other places to park in Orchard Park, in the city, you know, around people's neighborhoods, all that kind of stuff. He says, I drove around about 45 minutes looking for a, for a parking lot, and I finally found a place I could park. He said, and then your old dad, that's how he refers to himself when he's about to tell the story. He says, then your old dad sat there in the car and thought about it. I'm finna park in a lot that's about a mile away from the stadium. He said, but I'm in good shape, so I wasn't worried about the mile. I got all my warm stuff on. I'm feeling toasty. He said, I had a battery-operated coat, a battery-operated vest, and then I had this other thing that keeps your heat insulated. So I'm good. I'm not worried about being cold. He said, but where I was going to park was about a mile away from the stadium. And I got to thinking, when I leave this stadium, it's going to be 75,000 people leaving with me. It's going to be pitch black. We're in a neighborhood, so it's not like it's going to be a lot of lights. Am I going to be able to find my car in a place where I've never parked before? He said, the more I thought about it, the more I envisioned myself wandering around the streets of Orchard Park looking for my car in the middle of the night. And he just said, F it. He said something else, but I'm going to try to be calm for you. He said, F it. I'm going home and watch this thing in high def on my 75-inch TV at the crib. And so he turned around and drove back home and made it, uh, you know, just shortly after kickoff and watched the game at home. And that got me to thinking. I asked you this question earlier, dog, but I don't know if you answered it. Have you ever lost your car in the parking lot? Uh, for about two seconds, then I hit the alarm. Oh, uh, well, yeah. That's one way to do it. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, sometimes you got to be close enough for the alarm to go off. Uh, okay. Now, yeah. I have lost, but uh, I knew exactly what he was talking about. Go ahead. You were going to say something? No. Nah, yeah, I guess you can do that at a at a concert or or something, a big event or something like that. But, nah, generally, nah, yeah, I guess you, I can say, yeah, I have lost it like that. But like I say, when you get, when you start hitting that alarm, you just get closer. And then sometimes you come right. out, uh, uh, I've. I've lost myself more than I've lost the damn car. That man uh, said he lost himself. Yeah, I went into uh, I went into Coles one day, and uh, I was going to return something from Amazon. And I looked right. at this young lady, and her name said, I looked at her name tag, and I looked at her, and I said, "Man, these young people don't—they don't know what they're doing these days. They—they confused." I said, "Young lady, why are you in Coles?" But you got a J.C. Penny name tag on. You work for J.C. Penny? She says, "Sir, this is J.C. Penny. Coles is on the other side of the of the strip mall. Oh hell! All right then. I see y'all later. Yeah, this is a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an old man moment right there. So I feel you on that. Yeah. Um, what my dad was saying reminded me when I went to to uh, cover the Colorado UCLA game. I did what he was talking about. Now, the good thing was I was in California, so it wasn't cold. But when I left the stadium, I could not find a car, dog. I remember. I that. looked for about thirty minutes. Yeah. I looked for about thirty minutes. I couldn't find it, and then I got turned around because I'm I'm usually pretty good about. Okay, here got my landmarks. Here's how I walked. I retraced my steps pretty well. I'm usually pretty good at that. Man, I had to go and find some uh, security and be like, this is the lot I parked in, but I don't know how to get back to it. 
And uh, it's always happening to go, oh, it's boom, 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 left, right, left, you'll be there in two minutes. And I was, but I could have wandered around that parking lot, man, the way they sent me for another hour and never found that car. I remember you uh, saying that they don't have no lights yeah. out there. Yeah. They didn't have no lights. No lights. And it was dark. That's the road. And I ball, was. Right? Yeah. Okay. And I was hitting the alarm and wasn't nothing flashing, my brother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing was flashing. Yeah. And uh, that reminded me of time, and this is pathetic, but we have. A, I have a. Uh, I'm gonna ask you about this. Uh, I remember when I was doing jam session. Uh, no, I was doing J Dub City, the radio show with uh, Will, uh, and uh, Alan was our producer for ESPN Radio before I started doing the radio show with Matt McLaren. We're out for training camp. And uh, we say, you know what we've never done, man? Let's go to see the Dodgers at Chavez Ravine. Check out a Dodgers game. Yeah, great idea. We park. Will is driving. This is very important. Will parks. We get out. We're in the stadium. We leave in the stadium. The game was great. Uh, we leave in about the eighth inning so we can beat the traffic, get back. Hey, Will, where we parked it? You guys didn't pay attention? Will, you parked the car. You're responsible for knowing where it's parked. Dog, we out in the L.A. Dodgers parking lot. Could not find the car. We looked for like 35, 45 minutes. Could not find the car. You know what we finally had to do, bro? No cap. You know what we had to do? We had to wait for the game to end. Everybody to leave. And see what cars were left. So and you that's in, how we found in, the car. You in the producer road with him, but y'all, y'all didn't pay attention to where the car was at. He says, "If I'm driving, it's all on me." That don't make no sense. Yes. No. <laughs> no. It if I get, if I get my, uh, if you parked the car, you're responsible for knowing where you parked. You I pulled can. in. I, can. I mean, I that's just one man's opinion. That was two men's opinion that day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we could take a survey. Yeah. If, if if we say if three fellas go out to a ball game, who's responsible for knowing where you park? It's called paying attention to your. It's called paying attention. It's called taking your head out yeah, your man. ass and paying attention to your surroundings. Everybody, not a trained scout who know how to sit on a rock for thirty days at a yeah, time man. and find out where everybody coming and going. Everybody not surrounded like that, man. Okay, that's all I'm saying. Okay, my wife can find her car when she come out of Coles. My wife can find a car wherever what if she, she came out of J.C. Penney. Yeah, if she came out of J.C. Penney, Coles, Walmart, whatever, you know, uh, y'all just wasn't paying attention. I don't know. Well, that's because we wasn't driving. So from here on out, I decided to drive because when I drive, I, I understand where I parked, so I can always go back to it. But uh, uh, the point of that story was, it's easy to get lost at night when you don't handle when you don't know where you park. And uh, I was glad that my dad took the option to make sure that he was not wandering around the streets of Orchard Park looking for his car in the middle of the night yeah. in Buffalo uh, with freezing temperatures and 10 feet of snow on every side. Now, that I can but, uh, agree that's with. I can huh? agree. Uh, that See? I can agree with. That, that get out the car and don't have <laughs> nobody find their damn car? No, not at all. Okay, so, that, yeah. that leads me to one last thing, though. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm very good at directions. Now, for real, when I'm paying, when I'm when I'm when I'm driving, I pay attention. When I'm parking, I pay attention. All that stuff when I'm driving. Do you know kids today 
they so de- they so relying on navigation that they can't even tell you what highway they on, how to get here or there. They just know they just know how to follow the navigation, and it disappoints me. Does that surprise you? No, nah, because it's available. I mean, yeah, because it's yeah. It don't surprise me because I see it all the time. Um, I think when I, when my kids was younger, people had uh, what, what was the uh, what was the handheld games that they had? Because my mom used yeah, to say, "How come Nintendo? Yeah, whatever." She would say, "How come you don't get them that so when they traveling, uh, they can have something to do?" I said, "Because I want them to know where they're going, just in case they get no. lost." You know, you can tell somebody how to get to your house. If you playing that game or you playing with your Bro. phone all the time, you don't know. You know, it's a lot of Dumb. rookie. It was a lot of rookie drivers that I trained that would be playing with. They would be doing Facebook while we running yeah, around. Truck drivers. Yeah, a lot of rookie truck drivers I trained. Hey, dog, you need to pay attention where we going because this connects to this and this connects to that. And some guys listened, some guys didn't, and those were the guys that got lost all the time. Hey, Joe, how do you get to this place right here? No, you was riding with me. You figured the hell out. I told you to pay attention (laughs) to what was going on. You know, don't call me asking me if you're in the right place, you know. But, yeah, GPS gets you in a lot of trouble, you know. It really dawned on me one time, man. I was was giving my, my dude was in high school, probably ninth or tenth grade. And his girlfriend had come over to hang out for a few hours. And I said I would take her home. And we got in the car and I said, hey, how do we get to your house? Now, I'm in DeSoto. She in Oak Cliff. And she said, oh, let me call it up on navigation. And before I knew it, I said, you don't know how to get home? She said, well, I don't really know the street names and stuff. I just know how to go. And I was just like, oh. And then I caught myself. I said, oh, okay, plug it in. But I just never looked at her the same after that. And then I told my son, do you know how to get home from where you at, man? He said, I think so. I said, you think so? And then I pulled the Joe on. I said, man, man, you need to pay attention, dog. You can, I said, what if your phone died? You just lost? And uh, But anyway, that's when it first dawned on me that uh, we can, you know, technology, if you're not smart, can make you dumb. So well, you, you become sure you, well, you become dependent on it. Dependent for, for sure, yeah. for sure. And uh, I have to do that now, you know, in terms of making sure that I'm not too dependent on it, um, you know. But uh, technology is taking over so much of our lives; it's easy to do. And so I'm still old school enough that I don't want to go down that path. But uh, that's a quick trip around the block. And uh, my dad's still mad about the Bills game. I sent him a text this morning, so yeah, he's still mad. Matter of fact, the text was, you still mad? The answer one word, yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about somebody else who's mad, though. Let me ask you this as a Cowboys fan. Are you still, are you mad at the team? Mm, more, more disappointed than anything. Um, I wouldn't say mad. Probably, probably different players kind of pissed me off, but. Um, as overall as a team, I didn't expect much, so I didn't get much. I mean, I kind of bought into them early on, and then once they got right. whooped like that, I was like, "Yeah, you knew better." So, all right. Well, the fan base in general, to me, um, seems more agitated, aggravated, pissed off than they've been in a while, and. 
some of the and there's there's um there's two things that popped up to me. One of them is they're really pissed off at Jerry Jones and the culture. And what I'm seeing a lot of is they haven't been to the NFC Championship game in 28 years. There's one constant, Jerry Jones. He's the only constant. He needs to give up the GM's role and get some football people in there to do what they do. Now, if you think you're the only one feeling like that, here's what former player and ESPN star Marcus Spears had to say about Jerry Jones and the Cowboys culture. Fortunate enough to play for another organization after spending eight years in Dallas. I went and played for the Baltimore Ravens where Ozzie Newsom was the general manager. Harbaugh was the head coach, and I saw Steve Bashotti twice in eight months, okay? Stop telling me about coaches. The coach that coaches for Dallas comes in at a deficit. They come in with all of this stuff that they shouldn't have to deal with that they got to focus on before they even start coaching football. So whether it's Pram or Mike McCarthy or Bill Belichick or Jesus, Jerry Jones is going to be there with the same type of culture that's being created because it's being created by the guy that writes the checks. And he can do what he wants to do. Marcus Spears is mad, just like y'all. And a lot of times I poo-poo it. Uh, because I'm like, if you, if you look, and here's why. If you're going to give, if you're going to say, hey, the Cowboys finished 12 and 5 three years in a row. They got a good team. They got a good roster. They just need to make a move here, make a move there, blase, blase, blase. Well, Jerry Jones, if you say he's doing all of this well, then, as a GM, then he's responsible for the roster. And you got to credit him for putting him in position to win two of the last three division titles, three straight years of 12 wins. If you believe that he's really doing the GM job and he's responsible for all of that. If not, then fine. Um, but if you think he's the GM, then you got to give him the credit that you would give the GM. Uh, and you just can't say, well, he's the, he's the reason why they lost. Because I look at it and I go, is, he, is Jerry Jones the reason why Green Bay smashed the Dallas Cowboys? I don't think so. Is he the reason why they lost to uh, San Francisco? The two years before that in the playoffs, I, I don't look at that and go, oh, yeah, that's Jerry losing those games. Uh, and here's the deal about Jerry Jones. Don't get caught up in a mess. I'm about to give you the truth. Straight. No chaser. Here it is. Will McClay does all the duties that a GM does for the Cowboys. Okay? Will McClay is your de facto GM. When they traded for Amari Cooper, let me tell you how what happens. When you want to trade for a guy like Amari Cooper and you're about to send two first-round picks, do you know what Jerry Jones did? He went and said, hey, guys, here's what's on the table. We need to get a receiver. You guys say Jerry, you guys say Amari Cooper is the guy. What do you all think? What are the pros? Jerry has some questions for everybody, meaning the coach, the offensive coordinator, Will McClay. You know how Will McClay prepared for that meeting? Let me tell you all how he prepared. He went and watched each of Amari Cooper's 3,300 snaps, I believe, at the time. Each of his 3,300 snaps in the National Football League before they made the trade. Each of his 3,300 snaps. Every one of his 3,300 snaps. And drew a conclusion and said, okay, I think he's worth two number ones because of A, B, and C. That's what a GM does. Will McClay is a de facto GM. Give him the credit. 
or give him the blame for the team. Now, the Cowboys make consensus decisions as it relates to their draft board and much of what they do. This is not a situation. You got some organizations where the GM says, hey, here's what we're doing. Coach needs to accept it. You got some organizations where the coach got all the power. Hey, here's what I want to do. Here's what we're doing. Go ahead and do it. The Dallas Cowboys, for better or for worse, are really a consensus organization. They get McCarthy. They get Will McClay. They get Jerry. They get Steven together. And they say, hey, here's what I think we ought to do to solve this problem. And they go back and forth, back and forth, debating, 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 debating. And then they reach a consensus and go, okay, here's what the Cowboys are going to do. That's how it works 99% of the time. Okay? When it comes to the draft, they have a consensus draft board. And if there's no consensus, coach says this, scout says this, Will says this, guess what they do? They go watch some more tape of the guy as a group until they come up with a consensus of, Here's his grade. Here's where we're putting him on the board. That's why they don't have a lot of debates during the draft or a lot of afterwards. Well, that was Jerry's pick or that was Will's pick because this particular organization makes consensus picks. You going to say something, bro? Yeah, I want to say something. I don't know if you're going to like it, but I I don't know about I don't I don't know about all that. Who who owns the 49ers? Don't answer that. Who owns the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars? Who owns the the hell? Who owns? Who really owns the Washington Commanders? We don't know because we don't see him on the press conference, and we don't see him taking credit, trying to take credit for everything that happens. Whether Will Will, Will McClay is the guy, all right, that's cool. But Jerry wants you to know that he the guy. He up front. It's Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. Jerry Jones puts himself out there like he running every damn thing, whether he do or he don't. He's he he's he's in the forefront of what goes on with the Cowboys. He does his own show. He does all of that. So that's why the fans. I mean, it, I believe what you say is the truth, cause like you say, you give it straight. But Jerry put him in a position to be hated. He put himself in a position to be hated. And there have been times where he might be doing consensus stuff now, but he didn't do it in the past. And then okay, well that's that's uh, that's true. But the, when we're talking about the past, we're talking like fifteen years ago. Yeah, I know. But I mean, I'm saying maybe right, not even that long. But, but it's I'm, been a long past. I'm talking about right he was now. Renegade Jerry. I'm talking about right now. Yeah. He 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 talking. He he the first person to say something. He he put himself out there. The camera's always on him. He's always talking. He put himself in the line of fire of the fans. That's what I'm saying. What you, what I'm saying, what you saying is the absolute truth about what they destructure, how they do things. But he make it appear that he's the boss and he's running things and all this other stuff. So he kind of put himself in the line of fire. That's what I'm saying. He put himself in the eye of the fans, and that's why people's like looking at him, going, "This is the problem right here." And he, he is the common denominator. That's, that's- that's not the um, – how do I want to say this? No, you're right. That's the problem. I'm telling you, here's what happens. Mm-hmm. And the reason why fans mm-hmm. think like this is everything that you said. And what happens is it's not the decision-making that's the problem. I think what, I think what the problem is with the Cowboys – and it would be interesting to see how much it would clear up if he would do this because he did this some during the Bill Parcells time, which is – Stop seeking the credit. 
go back into the shadows a little bit. Mm-hmm. And here's the problem. Let your players and coaches, not necessarily the, the old coaches, but the new coaches, understand that Mike McCarthy's in control. Why is it that the media crowds around Jerry Jones after a game to the point where there's only a handful of people at Mike McCarthy's press conference? Because there's of what I said. Reason. He make the, he get a perception that he's the boss. He's running everything. Right. He he gives you the perception that what he says matters more than mm-hmm. what the coach says. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, that's no different than if you got kids and – the parents say one thing, and then grandmama or granddad come over and say, hey, well, you know, I'm rich, so I, I bought this house and I did this for y'all. And so the kids can start to think that the grandmama run things or the granddaddy run things instead of the parents. And so, no, you cannot have a car for your 16th birthday. I think you're too young. Granddaddy, grandmama, will y'all buy me a car? Yeah. And then they go buy you a car, and then they tell your parents, just stop. You're being too hard. Da 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 da. And what happened is it creates some some confusion with the kids. Who in charge? Is it the grandparents or is it our parents? Well, one of and them. so you can get confusion with the Cowboys. Who's in charge? Is it really Jerry? Can Mike McCarthy fire me? Can Mike McCarthy cut me? Mm-hmm. Or can Jerry intervene and save me? And when you have any kind of confusion like that, it's not a positive. Well, that was a that was a interview that Nate Newton did with. Uh, K-104 a million years ago. And uh, he said, well, they cut you, Nate. What, what do you think? He said, well, I told Dion they cut me. And Dion was like, hey, man, that, you know, this is Barry Switzer. Era. He said, hey, man, let's go, talk to, let's go talk to Jerry. And they said, man, I don't want to stay around here like that. See, that was the biggest indicator that Jerry was usurping all the coach's power wow. right there. And that was a million years ago. But what I'm saying is yes. these guys, this, here's the thing. One of the most interesting conversations I've had on this show right here, informative and interesting, was when I asked you, you and Todd that very question about Jerry running things. And I thought y'all gave some of the best stuff I ever heard. It was like, hey, look, you, you said you can get whatever you want from Jerry, but you got to set boundaries. The fact that he hired Mike McCarthy, who is a Super Bowl winning coach and an offensive coach, and Mike had to keep Kellen Moore kind of undercut Mike McCarthy right then. To me, okay, now that's as a, a football that's guy, that's a great point. You know, that, but what did we? What did you just say? Well, the one thing y'all was <laughs> saying was that everybody that coaches for Jerry, and I'm giving you guys full credit. Everybody, it was a great conversation. All you, you, everybody, y'all were saying everybody that's coached for Jerry except for two guys, Parcells. And uh, Jimmy Johnson was happy to have a job. And those things right there told me a lot. And then when you were saying the coach gets everything he wants, and that's true. You ask for a linebacker in the first round. You ask for a defensive lineman in the first round. You get that. Here you go, Dan Quinn. You know, but the boundaries, you know, I mean, you know, you got him under your thumb. Mike McCarthy needs a job. Mike McCarthy going to agree to all of that mess. Right there. Why are you keeping Kellen Moore? Why don't you let this man put his offense in four years ago? So it's kind of a catch twenty two on that. Set the boundaries. Take 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 what I give you. Who wins that? Who wins that when you need a job? Well, that's the that's the. Um, I didn't now understand. I didn't say this was easy. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, if you Mike McCarthy, I understand why young coaches do it. I understand why coaches who ain't never had a job do it. But when you Mike McCarthy and you got a Super Bowl ring on your resume, you, Mike McCarthy, at that particular time, got to be strong enough to say, Jerry, I don't want a Super Bowl, dog. I know how to do this. I realize blase, blase, blase. I'm an offensive coach. What I do is offense. If you want me in this ring, I can't have Kellen Moore here because of A, B, and C. And you have to be strong enough and believe in yourself. Enough. And you have to be, again, I didn't say this was easy. You got to be willing to walk away and be like, I'm going back to my barn in Wisconsin and run up some more plays with my homeboys and play Madden until I get a job where I can do what I do best. If you, if you, you know, but if you decide that I want the job enough to just take this, then you just got to take it. Well, money he talk. He decided he money. wanted the job enough to take it. Yeah, money talk. Yeah, I'm going to take that. Well, no, nah, I mean, ain't but 32 of them, so it's just like, what's the worst job in the National Football League, hands down, without, without debate right now? It's the Carolina Panthers. Okay. Somebody going to take it because it ain't but 32 of them. And you're going to have to deal with an idiot owner who's uh, worse than Jerry Jones because he fights you all along the way and, uh, you know, does more harm than good. Uh, but it's only 32 of these jobs. Somebody going to take it and deal with David Tepper, the idiot owner, because there's only so many opportunities you have uh, to coach. And so, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, well, I think uh, that's why we got – I think that's why we got Mike McCarthy and not Sean Payton. Maybe Sean coming here like, nah, I ain't taking that dude. You know, it's one of them uh, things. That, that would not, yeah. You I know, wouldn't, that wouldn't disagree with me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just like you said, everybody grateful for a job. I, it just, I just, I just found that one of the most interesting things I've heard about Jerry Jones when y'all was talking about that. You know, and it kind of it, it makes sense where you know if you ain't setting boundaries, you're gonna get run over by Jerry. And that's, I mean, I mean, that's what y'all said. And that's what we're talking about now. Right. And, uh, you know, even now, you know, because Jerry exerts his power in different ways. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's letting you twist. You know, sometimes it's, hey, well, you know, maybe he's the coach. Maybe he's not. With Dan Quinn's situation last year. Uh, none of that is positive, but that's what comes with working for him. So there's a lot of benefits to it. But with Jerry, you literally have to take control and believe that you're that dude and put him in his place and be strong enough and confident to well, do that. that. Otherwise, it brings us back to the top of the conversation where we talked about why people blame Jerry for stuff. You know, a, yeah. co- a coach shouldn't oh, have to, a coach shouldn't have to set boundaries. A coach should be like, all right, this is well, you know, when you, when you come into this thing, all right, what, what is your plan for this? What's going on? Well, what are you trying to do? And, very rare, very rare does a coach get forced to coordinate. I remember uh, the coordinator for the um, coach, Tom Moore. Peyton Manning liked him. He kind of got to stay right. on. Uh, but that's a successful union right now, you know. Uh, but I don't think they hired an offensive coach. Usually you don't. When a coach give up play calling and that's his specialty, that's usually a death nail for him. He's usually done. You know that's the problem with the coach in Philadelphia. He ain't he ain't calling nothing, and it's, it 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 looked like it. You know it looked that's why he looked right. bad. But, <laughs> that's why it looked bad. Yeah. So I don't know. It's 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 coming. I'm just coming. I I know you speaking facts about Jerry, but coming from a fan's point of view, it's like 
Yeah, I don't blame Jerry for well, everything, just, but the culture is kind of jacked up. It's kind of jacked up. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't. Well, you I have don't, to win despite the culture. And uh, I don't know about that. That, that can the be cult, hard to the, do. The culture. Yeah, yeah. The, you you can't win despite the culture. Well, that's no. That's no. The culture. The culture creates winning. That's, those, those things go. Those things go. You know what? Cart before the horse. Horse before the car? I don't know. Chicken uh, before the egg? That shit goes together. <laughs> <laughs> you can't win. The coach it's bad. Supposed to. The coach bad. You ain't winning despite no culture. If the that's, coach walk in and dog cuss you every day, and, and and you ain't got you know, and the fans don't like you, and your equipment ain't no good, yeah, all that creates culture. Um, I think it's uh, you know the the other thing is, and Clarence points this out from time to time, is football and winning. The team should always be at the forefront of every decision you make, and which Cowboys is not, you know. And what I, what I mean is when you see them playing five uh, preseason games or you see them traveling the world in the preseason, that's not conducive to winning. That's conducive to marketing the Cowboys mm-hmm. and making money and building a brand. Uh, they do a lot of that stuff. Like last year when they couldn't practice because they had the Country Music Awards had taken over the star and it was raining and they didn't have nowhere to – like. That's when the main thing is not the main thing is my boy uh, Deion Sanders. Who responsible uh, for that? Who responsible for that? Jerry. That's what I mean. If For you to win, you have to win in spite of that, and that can be hard. Although other people, you know, um, Jimmy Johnson won in spite of some of the culture. And I'm talking about like in 92 when they went to Tokyo and Jimmy Johnson was like, I do not want to go to Tokyo. Then we're going to Miami. We're playing five games, all this other stuff. But his hold on the team was so strong, they could win in spite of that. The problem is we're talking about who's the only two coaches who've been able to do that. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy Johnson and Bill Parcells, two Hall of Fame coaches. Mm-hmm. So uh, we saying you got to be a Hall of Fame coach to override Jerry's uh, personality and the stuff Jerry wants to do. It might be like that. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a fascinating question, and it's why the Cowboys stay at the forefront of uh, everybody's mind. And it's why, the, why, it's, why, it's, why, why, we, why the fans is mad at Jerry. Why, we, why the hell we mad yeah. at Jerry is because of that. All of well, that. I just, yeah, I knew. Um, like, I just said it just seemed like there's more vitriol. Like, there's really a real anger. Uh, from the fan base right now that I haven't seen in a minute. Well, you, I've, I've you, seen disappointment before, um, but I haven't seen this type of anger. Okay, like, like okay. disappointment and anger is different. Okay, well look at look at look at the way things go. We got a doggone all pro, hundred thirty five catch wide receiver. First damn drive, he checks out. He ain't available. You know, first three quarters of the damn game. Your your biggest talent in this lifetime is your availability. You got to be available to suck. And that dude wasn't even available. That's culture right there. Mike McCarthy couldn't talk him back into the game. To hell with it. It's just one of them things where you always say, and you and Ty were saying, big players got to play big. Well, man, what, what coach is going to tell this? What, what coach is going to let this young man pout like that? What coach is, is going to let him say, all right, you know what, I see this coverage, I see what's going on, and Dak ain't going to throw me the ball. Let me just start pounding. Let me, let me just be a big bitch this whole game. You know, I don't know, man. It's, it's one of them things where when 
you create a culture and you create accountability through for the owner and not the coach, because I don't know what Mike right. said to him, but it didn't wake him up. He wasn't listening to Mike. I mean, he just know he he were number eighty eight. He a cowboy, and uh, he gonna get paid today. And I've done all the work already. Uh, did he really care about winning? I don't know. I just thought it was terrible when he checked out like that. When I'm talking about CD Lamb, yeah, when he checked out, uh, that's that's culture right there. That's your culture right there. I'm gonna wear the star. I'm gonna wear this famous number. I ain't give a shit about this playoff game. That's just how I feel about. Well, I think it's. Uh, I know that's how you feel. Ain't no need to apologize. I think it's a. Uh, I think it's something that uh, that bears a lot of watching and um, you know requires a lot of answers. And I'm gonna try to get some of those answers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, no, it's been a it's been a fascinating conversation. That's why the Cowboys trump everything because they're fascinating for good reasons and for bad reasons. Unlike a lot of other teams. Well, just just weeks uh, after the game, you know, I've sat there and I thought about you know. I thought about what transpired during the game, and it's just like, yeah, yeah. From a former player standpoint, from a fan standpoint, yeah, I'm pissed about how that whole thing went down, especially the dynamic between our best two offensive players. That right. was that was a bunch of mess right there. And then how can a team, as a team, you fall apart like that at the seams, you know, at the fiber of the team? You know, like if if you if you lose and you guys are still trying to be on the same sheet of music of y'all playing, okay, y'all just got y'all ass kicked. But when you quit like that, that's say a lot. That's 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 almost akin to Scottie Pippen not wanting to go in at the end of the game when they wanted to run a play for Tony Kukos. That's kind of that's that's big as that to me. You know, I don't. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, so it's... No. Uh, it is what it is. Absolutely. Questions that need to be answered and that we'll spend the, all, the entire offseason uh, trying to figure out. Uh, we can never do the show without our friends at uh, Greening Law. Make sure you contact them. If you ever are involved in an accident and it's not your fault, uh, you know the number by now, 972-934-8900. Uh, we're also sponsored by Smokey John's Barbecue. 1820 West Mockingbird, food to live for. Remember, you can always find me on Twitter, at JJT Journalist. And uh, I am Jean-Jacques Taylor's the handle. The book, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, and the Make It a Men. Had a couple orders this week. I want to appreciate that. Uh, you can find that at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, Walmart.com, uh, Target.com, wherever you find your books. Uh, for Big Joe and the Big Rig. Till we chat again, you guys be blessed.